by for Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with your host, Drew Kirby. Hey, this is Luke Holmes. I am Morgan Wallen. I'm Riley Green. I'm Travis Denning. Hey, I'm Aaron Lewis. Hey, it's Luke Bryan. I'm Tim McGraw. What's up? This is Ian Munsick. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. Welcome in to Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors, the show dedicated to what we love here in Wyoming, hunting, fishing, and loving every day, getting out and enjoying what we have right in our backyard. And each week we bring in uh, Janet Millick, representative from Wyoming Game and Fish Department, to give information. You know, there's a lot of regulations and there's a lot of questions that come in about the uh, hunting and fishing uh, industry here in Wyoming. And, and Janet, it's always nice for us to be able to pass on information. And I've heard over and over and over the last few weeks as I've been around how much people enjoy finding things out that they've never known before about the outdoors. As always, we love to get these questions that come in and people don't realize that we are here to answer those questions. It's as simple as a phone call to the office and hopefully you can get your answer. But if not, and you want to put it through your mobile app, those questions are great to come in. And if not, we're coming up with questions that we continually get um, like here in the main Casper Regional Office for our entire district. And some of those questions um, lately have been around wild turkeys. Yeah, we are in the middle of wild turkey season, goes throughout the month. And, uh, you know, there aren't as many people in depth on knowledge of turkey hunting. You know, they like deer, they like antelope, they like elk and moose, and they like duck and goose. But you don't really hear much about the wild turkey hunters until recently. Some people have been asking some questions. So we had to get the big dog. That's right. You know, one of one of my most favorite things is wild turkey fajitas. And I think Joe may have been even the one to turn me on to that recipe. I can't remember. It's been a while. But we have on the show with us today, Joe Sandrini, who is the Newcastle District Wildlife Biologist. He's been a member of the Wyoming Game and Fish Department for many years and is um, also a member of the National Wild Turkey Federation and kind of our representative with them. And he knows all things turkey. Joe, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Drew. Uh, Wild turkeys, a very interesting subject here in Wyoming because they haven't always been here, but it was back in like, what, the 1930s, I think, when they were introduced to certain parts of the state? Yeah, it was in uh, the mid-1930s, I think 1935, uh, plus or minus, and we traded New Mexico some sage-grouse for wild turkeys. And those initial wild turkeys were brought up and released in Laramie Peak area. And they did fairly well. They're the Miriam's subspecies, which there's four subspecies of wild turkeys in the continental United States. And the Miriam's is adapted to uh, higher, drier elevation, ponderosa pine type habitats, which we have some in the Black Hills and other in Laramie Peak and other parts of the state. Wild turkeys were not native to Wyoming, probably because of the winter severity and and that can limit populations at times. So that initial Laramie Peak population expanded. They did fairly well. And from there, we moved birds up into the Black Hills to the northeast of Sundance on Redwater Creek. About the same time south, and this was in the late 1950s, about 1957 or so. And about the same time, South Dakota was also moving birds 
into the Black Hills. At that time, nationwide, wild turkey numbers were very low. And since then, the restoration efforts have brought turkey numbers up to probably well, well above whatever what they were historically across the continental United States. We now have wild turkeys in areas where we didn't, including all 48 states, except technically Alaska, although I do know there are a few sort of unrecognized populations in Southeast Alaska, but that's a different state for a different day. Um, now I'm rambling on. So, so Joe, that's what happens. See, I, I, I can uh, just kind of get going. And so you're welcome to interrupt me, especially if I get off task subject. That's there. what we love about you, Joe, is all things wild turkey. Well, Joe, one thing I, I want to ask is when you see a turkey that may be in the Midwest or the uh, eastern part of the country, they're fairly large birds. You know, you get a turkey that's somewhere between 22 and 26 pounds on average there. And here, are they about the same size or is it because of the the, the food sources that we have here for the turkeys that maybe they're a bit smaller? So, again, the... Uh different species of wild turkeys that we have in the United States. Uh, on the eastern side to the middle of the Midwest, we have the eastern subspecies. When you get into sort of the uh, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas area, we get into the Rio Grande subspecies. Moving to the west, then we get into the, the Miriams. Uh, and uh, well, there's also the oscillated down in, in Florida, which is... Um, pretty close to the Easterns. And then we have the Goulds, uh, which is found in Northern Mexico in the Southern United States. And so those Eastern birds tend to be the biggest, um, followed by the Rios and then the Miriams. So I can't remember off the top of my head what the largest Miriams harvested is, but um, once you get north of about 22, 23 pounds, that's a darn, darn big Miriams. Their beards also tend to be a little bit shorter as well as their spurs. So they're a bit smaller subspecies. Their, their banding is much lighter in color, whereas the Easterns have sort of a, um, brownish, light, light brown edging to the tips of most of their feathers, especially their tail fan. The purebred, purest Miriams have more of a white, and the Goulds are the whitest of the bunch. And then the Rios tend to be in between, sort of a cream bronzy colored, although we do see Miriams that uh, display color characteristics tend to be a little bit more towards what a Rio would look like. And as I was talking about the turkey reintroductions in the state earlier, we also have Rio grand turkeys in the state. They tend to be a little bit better adapted to riparian river creek bottom corridors. Most of the birds in the Bighorn Basin are Rios that came from Oklahoma. We also have Rios uh, and Rio Miriam mix. Some guys call them Mirios in the Casper area and Douglas. Um, but the only way to truly tell the subspecies apart, I mean, you can go by, by feather color and size somewhat, but when you have the ones that look a bit like a cross between them, to find out if they're truly a cross or a purebred, you're going to have to grind them up, put them in a Petri dish, do a bunch of stuff on them to look at their DNA to tell. So when it comes to, say, registering turkeys for 
record book purposes, which they do just like they do for Boone and Crockett. Uh, the National Wild Turkey Federation runs a, a trophy program, and we can talk about how we score wild turkeys since they don't have antlers. But um, as long as the turkey species that you claim it to be comes from range where we know that subspecies exists and it sort of at least looks right, they'll take it. So whether you call it a Rio or a Miriams, um, you get states like Nebraska that have combinations of both and some of the birds that get registered as Miriams kind of make you wonder sometimes. But again, so, I don't know, does that kind of answer your question, what you're getting at? Yeah, so here in the state, you you said they were introduced in the Laramie Peak area and then taken to the Black Hills. Does the Laramie Peak area still have a large population of birds or have they stretched all throughout because we obviously have quite a few birds here in Casper but does that area still have a large amount of birds yeah there's there's a fairly good population there we've moved birds around the state since that initial reintroduction or their initial introduction into Laramie Peak and then the Black Hills and so we have them along the east front of the Bighorns we have them in the Bighorn Basin down in southeast Wyoming, um, starting, in fact, we're starting to get a few more south of Laramie. We're even getting, we have turkeys now up in the Cody area, Matitsi area, um, and there's even places now that if you go wild turkey hunting in the spring, you need to carry your bear spray with you. Oh, wow, yeah. Uh, how do they fare in the climate here? I know we had a pretty rough winter uh, do most of the birds come out okay, or, or is it just like the other species of animals where uh, some are better than others? So most of the occupied wild turkey habitat that we have in the state did not experience the winter that uh, the central and southwest corners of the state did. Um, you know, some of the birds around Casper, yeah, maybe some in the in the southwest corner. Sheridan, for sure, um, they definitely had some deeper snow and colder weather. The Miriams are adapted to foraging on ponderosa pine seeds in the winter. That's that's their primary food source in in their sort of their native habitat. Uh, in Wyoming, because of the snow depths and cold most of the turkeys tend to winter in and around farm and ranch complexes where they're either directly or indirectly supplementally fed, meaning some good rancher guy will put out some corn or something to feed them and get them through the winter, or else they'll just make a nuisance of themselves and, and get in there and get into his grain hay or grain that he's feeding his cattle. Um, and what I've seen over the last 30 years, especially in the Black Hills, is it seems that more and more of the birds are getting into those farm and ranch situations earlier in the winter. Um, we don't see as many birds wintering out naturally. Um, and turkeys are kind of, in a way, sort of like big game uh, deer and, and elk, then that there's some sexual segregation in the herds or flocks, ever what you want to call them. Um, and so in the winter, you tend to see uh, large flocks of, of hens and poults, young of the year. And then you have the older toms that they often will winter out a little bit more coming into the, the barnyard complexes um, a little more hesitantly, although I've seen that sort of change over the years too. And where we now see more 
big toms, gobblers coming in and, and wintering in those situations. And what can happen, is, especially when food is limited, is those bigger toms are more aggressive and they, they will um, fight off the younger toms and hens for food. And so what we've actually seen in some areas in the state, especially in river bottom populations that are very habitat limited, is that you get these winter flocks coming into these farm and ranch compounds and the males do, the big toms get, do a lot better job of getting fed. There's not adequate hunting in the spring. And so those tom numbers build up and eventually uh, they, they outcompete the hens. And so you end up with a bunch of tom turkeys and that doesn't do real well when it comes to uh, reproduction <laughs> and, and producing young. You know, we've been known nothing about that here in the city of Casper, Joe. You know, our many wild turkey flocks that wander the streets and block traffic and like to cause lots of problems are often composed of mainly toms. So just the perfect situation that you're talking about. Um, one of the, the complaints that we get here in the city, and we can talk back about hunting opportunities later, but um, everyone's always talking about how these turkeys go back to the trees at night. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and why it might be super annoying to people who live in a community and the damage that turkeys might cause? Yeah, so as I say, you know, the turkeys aren't native here and they are gonna go where the food is, okay? And the root of all nuisance or depredation issues with wild turkeys is they're trying to find something to eat. And so they have moved into towns where you have bird feeders. Uh, turkeys are generalists, so they'll eat seeds, they'll eat grass, they'll eat bugs. Um, they're gonna gonna pick up what they can. They they like dog food. Some of them learn to really like dog food. Um, and so they get in these areas. And in town, you got plenty of food sources. You have a lack of predators. And so they, they tend to do very well. And then they get habituated to humans. They're not, not quite so worried about them. Hung hunger's a powerful thing. I mean, think about it. You get those elk on the refuge, they'll tolerate people in the winter because they're feeding them, but you get there in the summer and it's a different story when they're out in the wild. Kind of the same with, same with wild turkeys. And turkeys, I mean, they forage on the ground, they nest on the ground, but they roost in trees. So that means they spend the night in, in trees. So they'll find a tree that they liked. It has a kind of branch structure and things that make for a good sleeping spot for a turkey. And they'll fly up there just before sundown and roost and roost and poop. Mm. Um, and so we tend to get complaints about turkey droppings on cars and roofs and things. Um, so, yeah, is that kind of what you were wondering about, yeah. Janet? Absolutely. Well, Joe, what can be done about a flock of turkeys that have taken over neighborhoods as they have here in Casper? Okay, good question. Um, unless you, there, there's a couple options. Um, the first is discouraging roosting. So if you're having a problem with them roosting, say they, you have a big tree in your backyard that they like, what you can do is just as they, as they get up into the roost, just as it's getting dark, if you're able to haze them out of the roof, the roost, uh, either some, some folks use high pressured water, um, in downtown Casper, you can't really use pyrotechnics and things very, very easily, but you flush them out of the tree, um, just as they're getting comfortable for the night. And 
a lot of times if you do that several days in a row, pretty soon they're like, man, I don't want to spend the night there because every time I do, I get chased out of there and I got to find a new spot. Um, that moves the problem down the road. So then they find another spot to roost and somebody else ends up having to do the same thing. Um, the, the next sort of level of control would be trap and translocation. And that's something that as a department, we like to try to avoid um, just because of the stress that it puts on the animals, the manpower strain, the time commitments. Um, but you can trap and translocate turkeys fairly successfully. That normally has to be done when the temperatures are colder so the birds don't overheat when you move them. And uh, you need to have a place to take them. So when it's cold in the winter, when it's time to trap turkeys, there's not always a lot of places to take them because they are probably going to end up wintering in somebody else's backyard or some rancher's uh, ranch compound. Um, the next level of, of sort of control would be lethal removal. And that's been done in some places. Of course, that's acceptable to some people and not to others. Um, but hunting is the primary management tool. That's how we manage populations in Wyoming, whether it's deer, turkeys, elk, or whatever. Um, and so in a municipality situation, yeah, we can't have an open hunting season. There's good reasons for that. And so we can structure that hunting, um, you know, take by professionals under special permits and that kind of thing. Um, so there's, there's a range of options. There's a, there's a lot of other things out there, especially for agricultural depredation and nuisance issues. Um, in fact, the Western uh, Association of um, Wildlife Agencies, the Wild Turkey Working Group right now is working on putting a paper together, looking at all the different depredation and nuisance issues that turkeys cause and what the different techniques are for dealing with those and what the pluses and minuses are of, of those different ways of handling nuisance and depredation wild turkeys. So and since Joe is not from Casper, um, I will chime in a little bit here on some of the things that we're seeing in the community. Um, one of the main things that he left off the list is not feeding turkeys, right? We have a lot of people within the community who are intentionally feeding them. You know, their their goal is to help the wildlife through the winter. They, they feel like they need additional um forage and, and food. And so that, of course, draws them in. And so that's one of the number one things you can do is make sure your neighbor is, you know, picking up the dog food, not feeding the turkeys, um, because it does just bring them in. And unfortunately, they don't just stay in your neighbor's yard or in your yard if you're the one that is feeding them. And so it is great to have them come in for a little bit. It's, it's neat to see them. It's neat to feel like you're helping wildlife, but it is not... Um, fun for long. Right. And we, yeah, we that's a good point, Janet. And that's what I was trying to stress that uh, food sources are the root of all the nuisance problems with turkeys. We talk about bears and mountain lions and deer to, to keep them out of the city. You shouldn't eliminate the food sources, but all right, hang tight. We're going to get uh, more on Joe and turkeys and the turkey hunting in Wyoming in just minutes. It's Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. And we are back on Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. Since we're right in the middle of turkey season, this is 
the perfect show to carry on through the the uh, morning. Uh, we have uh, Joe and Janet with us from Wyoming Game and Fish Department. And Joe, right now we are in the middle of turkey season, started back in April, and it'll roll through May. In Wyoming, how simple is it for someone to obtain a turkey license? Well, we have five hunt areas in Wyoming, and all of them have general license hunting opportunity, which means you can just go down and buy a tag up until the end of the season and go pursue uh, a turkey. And in the spring, legal game are any male wild turkey or wild turkey with a visible beard. So our intention is only to hunt toms in the spring, but a fair number up to 25 or 30% of the hens can have a beard, which is that sort of uh, hair like looking feathers that come off the breast of a turkey. And so those are also legal to take in the spring. Then there are also some limited quota type three licenses that are available for some of the hunt areas or portions of hunt areas. And if any of those are left over after the license draw, a hunter can pick those up. Uh, You can have up to three tags in your pocket, only one of which can be a general license. So depending on where you are and plan your hunt, you can take up to three wild turkeys in the spring if you're lucky enough to get those licenses. And what other kind of, uh, do you need a conservation stamp? You need all these stamps for this? Most folks will need a conservation stamp, a valid one. Of course, there's uh, some exceptions to that rule and there gets kind of complex, but um, basically, yeah, in addition to your wild turkey license, you'll need your conservation stamp and your hunter safety card with you. You're born after 1966. And turkeys like big game have a carcass coupon, so you do need to tag your turkey before leaving the site of the kill. And I I don't want people to get confused with the fact that if they bought an upland bird license, that that does not work for turkeys. You have to have that specific turkey license. That is correct, Drew. You are spot on. So make sure that you're purchasing the right licenses. We're always here to help. Joe, we did mention earlier that there are five turkey hunt areas in Wyoming, but that could possibly change soon. So as I was saying earlier, we currently have five hunt areas for wild turkey in the state. Uh, When I first started managing wild turkeys, we had 14. Um, Over time, we've established different populations of wild turkeys. They've grown and expanded. We have a lot more wild turkeys than we used to, a, a huge amount more. And as things have changed in looking at the regulations, it appears that we may be able to now go to a single statewide hunt area for wild turkey, which means that um, if you had a general license and we had general license season, you could hunt turkeys anywhere in the state. Of course, there's areas that don't have, have turkeys. And then we would also issue some type three or limited quota licenses that would be essentially geared to population reduction in those areas where we had excess wild turkeys and needed to harvest some more. So this is a a proposal that we're just exploring right now. We brought it out as a concept to the public this last spring during our season setting meetings and something that we're going to look at going going forward as far as opening up the wild turkey hunting regulations and seeing if that's something that's that's feasible. So as of now, there are five hunt areas. Which areas are the hottest 
for hunters to go out and and get a bird? Are, are there better areas than others? Well, it's it's really sort of an access dependent issue. The Black Hills are normally responsible for about fifty percent of the spring harvest of wild turkeys, and that's because we have a, a a fair amount of public land up here with the Black Hills National Forest, which is all occupied turkey habitat. In a lot of the rest of the state, turkeys are found predominantly on private land, and so folks have to get permission to hunt those. And actually, the Black Hills is becoming a destination spot for turkey hunters throughout the country. We're hosting well over a thousand non-resident hunters in the Black Hills every spring, and that number's growing. Um, we host almost, well, we'll probably be over 2,000 spring turkey hunters in the Black Hills this year with another um, 1,000, 1,500 in the rest of the state. So it, it is a popular sport. And that's another reason for wanting to maybe go to this uh, single hunt area for the entire state is to make it a lot simpler uh, for folks that are wanting to hunt wild turkeys. When, uh, you know, the families go out and, and maybe a father, son or mother, daughter, whatever, go out on a hunt for the turkey. Do you, do you have any advice that you would give a first time turkey hunter? Because like I said earlier, it's not one of those hot hunting seasons, it seems at this point, but hopefully it picks up in the future. And a lot of people are inexperienced when it comes to turkey hunting. Yeah, and actually it is growing by by leaps and bounds. Uh, fall hunting of wild turkeys, actually, we saw a fairly steady decline and that sort of bottomed out about 20 years ago. And so so the, the fall hunt is, is much less popular than the spring. And that's because the spring hunt, it's kind of like hunting elk in the rut. Okay, the turkeys are, this is the time of year that they're mating and, and nesting. And so calling those toms in is really the, the thrill of the hunt. And so as far as learning to do that, um, the first thing to do is, is to locate the birds. And as I was talking about earlier, those birds roost, okay? So they go up in the trees and spend the night. And Miriams tend to be very vocal, the toms, when they're on the roost. And so the key is either early morning or better yet in the evening is to get out, cover some ground, um, either use a wild turkey call or a crow call or something like that. And you can solicit a gobble response from the toms. And so if you're able to locate a tom where he's roosted, one of the things that a lot of folks do is they will set up in the morning off the roost and try to call the tom in when they, they fly down. Um, the, you know, it, Wild turkey hunting, it can be very challenging. If you're just getting into it, it's always best to find an experienced hunter to help you. There's, there's lots of help online, of course, different videos and things. Um, but just as if you're going to go out and try to call a bull elk in during archery season, there's, there's lots of different tips and techniques that go along with that. Um, and so really that, that, that's uh, the key to spring turkey hunting is, is locating the birds. Um, wild turkeys tend to be very regular in their patterns during the day. Um, and so knowing where to set up, a lot of folks use decoys as well. And so they may use a hen decoy to attract a tom in or a jake, which is a yearling, yearling tom decoy to sort of uh, challenge a dominant tom where he'll come in to, to fight those. Um, 
so there's there's a lot of different ways and and techniques but again um the best thing is to try to try to find somebody to to help you out um if not just kind of struggle through it yourself and eventually you can get her done <laughs> and and definitely one of the things with turkeys one of their characteristics that they have great eyesight is that is that right joe yeah they rely primarily on their vision to detect predators um, I don't know that they have a sense of smell, <laughs> but they also have really good hearing too. So uh, that will clue them in. And so it is, is it is important to wear um, camouflage or conceal yourself. Um, portable blinds can work really well, especially with young hunters and first time hunters, because it conceal your movement. Of course, that leaves you a little more fixed in one spot. It's not as easy to pick up and move. Uh, but a lot of times with first time hunters and young folks that can't sit still uh, i'll use a blind to to hunt out of a portable blind um and and to conceal that that movement because they do pick up on that they may only have a brain the size of a walnut but they can outsmart you pretty darn quick you ought to see these turkeys here in casper they stop at the crosswalks and they go when it's time to walk I, <laughs> I, it's it's they comical <laughs> well, Joe, you had mentioned earlier uh, in the show about uh, the way you measure out and the way you um, score a turkey, and it's a lot different because they don't have horns, but what is the procedure there? Yeah, so it's a combination of measurements. It's the weight, total weight of the bird, plus the length of the beard, or if it's if it's uh, we actually have non-typical turkeys, like you have non-typical deer and elk. If it has more than one beard, the total length of all the beards, and then the spur length. So it's it's those three measurements added together: weight, beard length, and spur length. What's but a, you didn't ask me how you measure a trophy cow, elk, or moose, because you can do that too, you know. Oh man, well we'll have to get yeah. you back on for another show for that one. I mean that okay, that sounds like a whole show in itself, Joe. It may not be Boone and Crockett sanctioned, but there's a way. <laughs> well, Joe, man, we do appreciate it. And uh, you definitely are a book of knowledge for turkeys. And we appreciate you coming on the show. Well, it takes one to know one. And I appreciate you having me on. Anytime you want to have me back, I'd be happy to visit with you, Drew. Very good. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Janet. Thank you, Drew. Have a great day. Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. It's Drew along with Brian Woodward from Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. We continued the show, and Brian, we were talking with Game and Fish just a little bit, a lot about turkeys as we're right in the heart of turkey season. And the lucky part for folks that maybe are just starting out with turkey hunting is you guys have everything they need. Yeah, you know, a lot of guys just start off with a pretty basic call or uh, to get themselves a nice uh, portable blind, pop up blind, or you know, stool to sit on type of deal. And uh, we've got all that stuff available for especially the first time hunter. And concealment is one of those things where, you know, you could just have a, a shotgun, but as long as you're hidden, then you're in better shape than you are without. Yeah. And it, uh, it gives you a little more flexibility, you know, for some movement, uh, maybe keeps the rain off you a little bit. Um, 
takes the sun off you, that type of stuff. So uh, having that concealment definitely can be an advantage. Now, I, I noticed that they talked about the fact that you could buy turkey license over the counter. Can you buy those here? Yeah. Uh, any uh, Anyone that sells game and fish licenses, but we certainly have sold plenty of those in the last few weeks. So all you have to do is come in and, and see them here at Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. And if you're not sure where to start, maybe what gun to buy or what uh, load of ammo to go. You guys got it all. Yeah, the guys at the gun counter certainly can uh, help you out. Uh, but uh, one of the most popular uh, calibers is just uh, the, like a 410. Uh, they make some really good uh, TSS um, heavy tungsten loads uh, that are really good for turkeys up to, you know, 50 to 70 yards. And then uh, a lot of guys are just kind of going with the old traditional, uh, no longer an H&R break open shotgun, uh, like an H&R pump or uh, break action, but they uh, make one that's called uh, Rossi makes a toughy turkey. And it's actually just kind of designed a single shot. Uh, it's great for kids and that kind of stuff. So uh, it's easy, easy to function and, and uh, it works really well. So you have uh, about three more weeks to do some turkey hunting. Get in here if you're looking into that. And, uh, you know, fishing is really big right now. This weekend is the weekend where the uh, the Wyoming walleye stampede is is rolling right now. Actually, you're you're about to wrap up, but uh, how are things looking? I know we've had a lot of rain. It's been a lot. It's been wet and a lot of snow melt. So yeah, we're starting to see uh, quite a bit of runoff. And if you uh, get on the Bureau of Rex website, you can kind of you know track. Uh, how much flow is going in on the upper end of the plat, you know, going into Seminole Reservoir, how they're kind of controlling it through the different dams and, and uh, different bodies of water through there. Uh, as we get to Glendo, you know, we're getting a lot of that runoff that's coming down through Box Elder and those areas. So we're starting to see some of the Laramie Peak waters coming in there. And it's it's flowing in there pretty good. It's making that north end extremely muddy. So obviously, if you want to do some fishing, now's a good time with the, the water going like it is. And uh, you guys have been out and about. What's What's the bait that's hitting right now? You know, uh, the, traditionally, we've talked about it before, the, this early spring bite is really good just for a jig and a minnow for the walleye presentation. Um, what I'm seeing is those walleyes are, you know, kind of been hugging the bottom pretty good. Uh, down at Glendo, I was talking to uh, Matt Hahn, the biologist um, for the area, and and uh, he said that, uh, unfortunately, it looks like, you know, the winter was just a little bit too long down at Glendo, and they might have lost a lot of the shad um, down on that reservoir, which is a great food source for those walleyes and everything else in there. So um, they uh, apparently got some adult shad coming in from Nebraska to, to kind of help replenish and restock some of the loss there. But um, because of that, you know, we've, we've, we've all seen those really high shad years where we just go through and just see bait balls and those shad jumping and that kind of stuff. And sometimes it makes the bite really difficult and really tough. So um, that probably will help a little bit from the angler standpoint. Uh, the fish probably are going to be pretty hungry, and hopefully they're going to be biting even a little bit better. So we've talked that this weekend, and we're possibly going to have uh, rain over the next couple of weeks. So rain gear is something that a lot of people are coming in and looking at right now. Yeah, and you know when the weather's you know fairly warm, and we just get these afternoon showers, you don't need anything that's real heavy or insulated or you know that kind of stuff. So. You know, just kind of a light, lighter gear. Um, we carry some Onyx um, by Absolute Outdoors. Uh, they've got some rain gear that's decent. And then we carry some Frog Togs. And all of those are pretty much packable. You know, they can they can be rolled up and pulled out just when you need them. And it gets a little bit chilly when you're, uh, you're out on the water during a rainstorm. So uh -huh. having that under layer is always a good idea, too. 
Yeah, and you know one of the one of the tricks that a guy told me, especially during the cold weather, is just to wear a pair of latex gloves or a vinyl gloves type of deal, because um, you can they usually you know hug your skin pretty tight, so you can still thread a minnow onto a hook, uh, as opposed to wearing a big pair of cotton gloves. Um, so that's kind of a little trick that you know you keep the the, the rain off here or the the wet, uh, then the wind doesn't bite nearly as bad. Well, come on in and check them out here at Rocky Mountain Discount Sports, and you can find everything you need to hit the water maybe this week or this weekend. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. It's Drew and Brian. Rocky Mountain Discount Sports is where we hang out a couple days a week just to kind of shoot the breeze and see what's happening, especially when it comes to fishing and the, the fishing seasons and times and Brian, I've seen a lot of pictures lately of guys that are like, wow, I just caught this huge fish. Mm -hmm. And it's not just at one place. It's multiple places around Wyoming. Yeah, the fishing really, I mean, this this is the time of year where it starts getting good just about everywhere. We're, we're seeing ice off in almost every reservoir. The rivers are pretty free. Uh, rivers might be a little muddy and might be flowing a little higher than we're, than, uh, we're used to, but... Yeah, I mean, this is the great time of year to be out and start enjoying some of these uh, bodies of water. When we get to midsummer and it doesn't rain all that much, we don't have to worry about the muddy water. So if someone's thinking, man, the weather is so great, I'm going out, but this muddy water kind of worries me, mm -hmm. uh, should they be concerned? Well, it definitely, you know, creates a challenge. And a lot of times, you know, it's our perception as we see muddy surface water and like, well, I'm not fishing there. Uh, thinking that the fish can't see the the bait either but fish live in that stuff too so um, and a lot of times you know the especially we kind of see it on the graph a little bit um, that that well that mud kind of just is in the the upper portion of the of the body of water and it's not pulled all the way deep and all the way through um, I can recall times over at Boysen Reservoir when the when the water starts flowing in from the Wind River there and and boy, it like you can see a big mud mud line mm -hmm. all the oh, way yeah. through that lake, but you know it kind of pulls through the middle as it's as the as the the, the flow from the dam is is being pulled out, and you know the edges of the lake are are pretty free and clear to to fish. So, um, yeah, I, I mean the nice part about muddy water is that it tends to especially when once the sun hits it, it kind of warms up a little bit quicker. So uh, some of those fish, especially the spawning fish, kind of like that warmer water. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, a guy just has to try it. And sometimes in the muddy water, you know, you just change your baits up a little bit, you know, maybe go to a worm or a leech, um, stuff that, you know, typically is getting washed off of that shoreline. So you mentioned that you can kind of see it on your electronics. Uh, can you see how deep the mud or dirty water kind of is? Sometimes it's kind of like a thermocline almost. It just kind of looks like, you know, a little bit heavier line on your, on your graph, but, um, it's a little bit trickier to see, but you know, a lot of times, you know, when you're when you're actually in it, you can kind of you go, oh yeah, that's what I'm seeing right now. I've seen that there are a lot of people on the the rivers and up in the big horns that are getting into the the rivers and getting mm -hmm. in on some some trout. So I mean, even the fly fishing is really hot right now. Yeah, the fly fishing's good. Um, there's been an awful lot of boats on the North Platte. Uh, the upper the upper stretch, like uh, there's been a few boats floating the mile, but um, a lot of guys on the reef. Uh, the upper section, you know, right after Gray Reef, um, that stays fairly clear until you start getting some of those tributaries or start, you know, the creeks that are rushing in there. So uh, we went over to uh, the Wind Rivers uh, last week and did a little fishing over there. And, you know, we kind of spent a lot of time 
uh, through the wetting of the waters and we stayed on that upper section and worked through those runs a little a few more times than maybe we would have normally uh, just because we knew once we got into town it was going to be pretty washed out so uh, that's you know just kind of the game and you know if you if you go with a reputable guide that kind of knows that you know they're they're going to work hard to keep you keep you in fish and that's kind of the same way i assume with walleye too if you got a clump of boats doing fishing in the same spot mm -hmm. it's probably not going to fish that great well, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, not everybody is, is throwing the same bait. The fish are still hungry. And, you know, I mean, I can't say that I've caught the same fish multiple times throughout the day, but I would have to think that, you know, the fish on Gray Reef, I mean, there's a lot of boats and those fish are almost all caught and catch and release program up there. So it's not, I don't think, I don't think the fish are being educated too much. You know, I think it's just a matter of anglers trying to match the hatch or match the bait and uh, find, find fish that are hungry. What are we sitting with the the spawn right now? I mean, are we about to, you know, kind of find some some fish that are spawned out and? Yeah, I think most of the fish, like whether whether it's trout or walleyes, are you know, for the most part on the back half of the spawn. Uh, when we were up there in the Wind River last week, uh, the the guide that we were with said that you know they thought they were just about halfway through, maybe a couple more weeks left. And uh, so real cautious about fishing the reds and, and handling fish that are on spawn beds. Uh, the walleye that, that I've seen so far, at least at Glendo, uh, I would say majority of them are spawned out. And you're going to find an occasional one that's maybe running late. And uh, as far as like Pathfinder goes, I haven't been up there, so I, I really don't know. And I haven't talked to too many guys that have fished it. But I think now that the ice is off, we'll start you know, getting a, getting a few more reports up there will they act differently the pre-spawn and post-spawn are they a little sluggish after before it just it just seems like it continually gets better as the as the water warms up so you know early on you know we're, we're doing live bait we're running a jig and a minnow and kind of a sometimes a slower presentation sometimes it's a drag as opposed to an aggressive uh, pop um, but as you know, that water warms up, we start hitting 60, 65 degrees on the walleye side, we can start, you know, throwing crankbaits and we can start trolling and we can start pulling worm harnesses and, uh, do more of an active presentation. And, uh, you know, just, just, again, it's just a matter of locating those fish. You know, you always hear about some of like the salmon that seem to be zombied out after they, they spawn, mm -hmm. uh, how often or how long will a walleye go and, and repeat the spawn? I think just just once a year, you know, for the for the walleyes, you know, I think there's different trout that will spawn, you know, different times of the year, and then maybe the the browns are in the fall type of deal. And um, not not an expert on any of that by any means, but uh, definitely warm water species. You know, the the crappie and the perch, they kind of they're they're kind of going on now through the next probably month and a half type of deal. And uh, you know, sometimes the I, it seems that the spawn um, or after the spawn, the fish kind of get a little tight lipped, you know, on the walleye side, but you know they're they're hitting pretty good right now you know was out last sunday and uh got into a spot and you know we caught you know 20 or 21 fish in about you know a two or three hour time frame so once you find them you know stay on them and you know have some fun with them yeah and we were talking just a little bit ago that we're starting to see a lot of the laramie peak 
uh, snow melt come off. And I know Casper Mountain, it's still a lot of snow up there. So right. we're probably going to see some some fresh, clean water come down that's going to keep it dirty for a while. Yeah, and it looks like, you know, I mean, obviously the Bureau of Rec is trying to manage what they think is coming for runoff. And so it's pretty interesting if you look at that Bureau of Rec website and, you know, watch how much, you know, how many cubic feet of, of flow is coming through into the Seminole. Uh, and then into Pathfinder and, and how they're managing it through the different tributaries, basically. And um, it, they're right now they're kind of they're kind of letting it pass through Glendo. They've got it at a you know seventy some percent, and they're kind of letting that water pass through because I think they're pretty worried about that that Laramie Peak runoff and then what we're going to get from Northern Colorado. So uh, we've got a lot going on. Like I said, the the uh, the stampede is going now, and then when is your next round of the the stampede? Yeah, so we're just uh, today's our, our final day at the at Glendo, and then uh, we'll have about a three week break, and then we'll hit uh, Glendo one more time, one final time for the year on June third and fourth, and uh, again applications are being accepted for that now, and then we'll go another month, and then we'll have a tournament over at Seminole. And then we'll give it another month, and from there, and then we'll have our championship at Boysen. So it's a full summer of fishing with the uh, Wyoming Walleye Stampede. You want to find out more about that, you guys have a Facebook page and a website. We do, yep, just uh, wyomingwalleyestampede.com. And uh, if you just want to email us, it's walleyestampede at aol.com. So. All right, make sure you get out and do some fishing this week. Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors with Drew Kirby. If you have a question, want to make a comment, or have an idea for a show topic, message us on the My Country mobile app. Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors.